0: God has rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the sun he loves so much. The sun who got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. We look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. You received Christ Jesus, the master. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. All right, Trinity Church, how you doing today? Yeah. Can we thank Justin and the team? What a great job you've done. They'll be coming out later on to help finish our service today. But just like Bill said, just a great job that they've done to this whole weekend to uh, just enhance, really give great insight, passion to our worship ministries, and we're really grateful to get to partner with them. My name is Todd Arnett, the lead pastor here at Trinity. I'm really excited to get to be with you today because we're gonna kind of turn a corner in this book we're in. If you're New with us today, you're joining us for week six in a series called Rooted. We're walking our way through the book of Colossians. You have a Bible today, it's in the back of your Bible, a book named Colossians. If you wanna find your way there to chapter three. If you look inside your Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like these if you wanna get those out, have those ready to go. They'll just help you track with us as we kinda walk through uh, the passage today and, and see what we're looking at. And what I want to do as we start today, if you were here last weekend with us, we we really hit a part in Colossians that was really now finally Paul is giving the issue, like he's been kind of hinting at it, he's been laying out this amazing theology of the supremacy and the centrality of Jesus, and then he finally gets to it, this is my concern for you. I remember that great phrase, you are letting unqualified judges disqualify you from the prize that is in Jesus. And he just gave some great examples of it. It was the heartbeat of the issue, and I was thinking about it this week. On Thursday, we have a, a staff devotional time. I don't lead it every week, but I did this week, and it was interesting. Uh, in my Bible, I have a good old 1984. I think was the translation. This is the Bible my then girlfriend, now wife, Joanna, gave me when I was a sophomore in high school. And I was getting this out, and I was looking at it for our devotional time. And, and if you look at your Bible, you'll note that there are um, kind of like chapter, or maybe not even a chapter. BUT, LIKE, PASSAGE, titles, those are put there by editors, that, that bold kind of thing to break up a, a different part of a chapter or the beginning of a chapter. That's not from the original manuscripts, it's something editors have put in that's fine. But I was reading, I was thinking of our devotional time on Thursday and looking at it, the, the, the heading that was just before what we looked at last Sunday said, freedom from human regulations through life with Christ. And that's what last week was, it was a whole idea about it is not Jesus plus anything that makes us right with God. And that was great, and we rallied around that. We saw great truth in that. And then I looked at the heading of the passage today, Rules for Holy Living. (laughs) Like, oh, well, regulations and rules sound very similar. Like, what's the difference? And what we're gonna see today is two things. Number one, we're gonna see, and I don't really even like this heading, I don't think rules is the accurate word, but more importantly, there's a key word in last week's little editorial note, and that was the word human. Freedom from human regulation, that's what we have been talking about, what Paul's leading to. On the one hand, we're saying that it is never Jesus plus a a list, a checklist that's going to somehow make you right with God, it's Jesus only. What he did at the cross, what he did at the empty tomb afforded you and I to be right with God where we never could have otherwise. That being true, and this is what we've said every week, right, we've said the first part, chapters one and two deal with the context of the gospel, who is Jesus and who are you? But now that we're into the second half of the book, how then ought we to live now that we are in Christ? How do we now move forward now that we're identified with Jesus? And I want you to hear today, we're gonna see some words that are gonna be powerful. Words like obligation, expectations there is a way that we ought to live and I want to tell you the great news not only I believe this actually provides a great sense of clarity but I also want you to hear that everything we're gonna see today is not about how can you try harder it's all about can you focus your attention where Jesus is and will you rely on the spirit he's embedded in your life this is the way I want you to hear from the very beginning you cannot live a Jesus exampled life on your own and the great news is you were never intended to that was always something that God was going to also provide you with so let's dive in today here's kind of our our now what idea remember we do this every week the idea is not only just to say here's like a summary idea of the passage but it's more of saying here's what I'm supposed to do this week in light of the passage and here it is when your focus is on Jesus above you live in a new way down here below And that's what we wanna talk about today. Number one in your notes, intentionally focus your head and heart where Jesus is. Intentionally focus your head and heart where Jesus is. You're gonna see a lot of verbiage today that talks about a, a, a partnership. We just kind of illustrated that, but there is some parts that very much deal with the our response something we are to partner with God we're actively to do and the first one is an intentional focus heavenward colossians 1 or colossians 3 of chapter 3 verse 1 since then we'll talk about the power of that phrase in a minute you've been raised with Christ set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated where Christ is seated at the right hand of God Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I would say that Colossians 3, 1 through 4 is the hinge of this book. Not even our entire passage, these four verses, this is where the book turns a corner and we're gonna see some really powerful realities that flow out of it. Like we said these first two chapters were really a focus on the centrality of jesus the supremacy of jesus in our salvation and the problem was is there were influencers in the colossian church who were threatening to cause other people to start gravitating to lists to start thinking of other things with jesus and that really were important and paul says vehemently no it's jesus and jesus alone Remember, we were even talking about um, that that idea, this basic message of the gospel, is that any time we add another thing, we're actually bringing down the centrality and the supremacy of Jesus, and that's why it's so important that we see he was a -a one-of-a-kind savior who provided a -a one-of-a-kind salvation. So here's what I want you to see clearly today. It's not a Jesus plus anything to become acceptable to God, but watch this. But once you've responded, once you've received the accomplished work, remember last week we entitled the mission, Mission Accomplished. Once we respond to that, Jesus' cross and empty tomb, there is an expectation of no longer living in the ways that we're once opposed to God. It's not just like an old way, this way actually lived opposed to God. It was destructive towards yourself and towards others. So look at this. Simply said, it's on your notes. Being, to be rescued is based on receiving what Jesus did for you. We can call that salvation. That might be a term we could use today. To be rescued by God is based on what Jesus did for you. That's the essence of salvation. But conversely, to become more like Jesus is the expectation once you've been rescued and continues to take place due to a partnership that you engage with God. We'll call that today sanctification or another word for that discipleship. That's really my favorite way to describe discipleship is simply becoming more like Jesus. In every facet of my life giving over more of control to him and his spirit that lives within me so these are these two words so we've talked primarily in the first two chapters about the idea of salvation now in the last two we're going to talk about sanctification now what now since i put my faith in jesus how ought i to live and it begins with that phrase since you have been raised with christ as a result of that reality based on the fact that they're identified or in Christ. Remember, we've seen a lot of that language in the book of Colossians. We go back to Romans five. We were in Adam, the first Adam, when we, we ourselves would go, Todd, how am I liable, responsible for my own sin nature? I, I didn't have really a choice. The Bible says that somehow all of humanity were in Adam when he chose to defy what God's design was. Interestingly enough now and greatly enough, we are in Christ And when we are in him, we actually somehow engaged the things he engaged, like we were raised with him. And so this identification is really the key idea of what it means to be in someone, in Adam, but now in Christ. And the reality is this, we've used this phrase all throughout this series, which I love, is the idea that when God sees you, once you have placed your faith in Jesus' accomplished work, when God sees you, he sees his Son positionally this is a true reality that god sees his son when he sees you and we want to be and we'll see this word today clothed in him because we want god to so much more see jesus than us so when we see this what we're going to see today paul he uses an interesting word for jesus in these first four verses he actually uses Jesus' title the word christ is the greek equivalent of the word messiah It's the idea of God's unique or anointed or sent one. So four times in four verses, the word Christ emerges. And he's driving home the point that all that was promised, all that was said in this former covenant to look forward to the new, Jesus did it. He is indeed the Christ. Then we have the first of two present active imperative verbs. And for us non-English majors in the room, we don't care. You know, we're like, Uh, what, what is the point we have talked a lot though in the book of Colossians of two things number one the importance of imperative verbs remember an imperative verb is a command or a directive do this we really want to pay attention to the imperative verbs in Scripture but secondly the case of the imperative verb is also important because in this case if it's a present active imperative it means keep on doing it continuously and so here's that phrase keep setting your hearts It's important for us to understand that in becoming more like Jesus, that decision was not a once-for-all decision. Meaning, to keep setting my heart was not something I said last Tuesday, and I'm good for the rest of my life. The Bible understands, the writer here, Paul, understands, that is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment decision to keep my heart, to keep seeking, to keep pursuing the things that relate to where Jesus is. If you're wondering what those things are, Paul describes them, they're everything that's consistent with Jesus and everything consistent with where he is. The victorious one who has sat down because of a mission that's complete. It's an obvious reference to heaven and I want to say today, I had a conversation as we are leaving today as well, I want to say it's not the heaven that the culture keeps telling you heaven is. That heaven, I don't know who wants to go to right? An effeminate place where everyone's wearing white gowns, playing harps, and sitting on clouds. That sounds a lot like hell to me, okay? I don't want that. And here's the great news. The Bible does not make that the caricature at all of heaven. So I don't want you to ever, when we're using the word heaven, I don't want you to ever insert, and I don't really care what the culture says, meaning they they live apart from God's word, they're going to come up with lots of ideas. But on this this was God's design, is God's design, and he says in his word what it means, what, it, what we can anticipate. And in this passage, what we see is this reality. It's the place where God rules and reigns and where Jesus sits triumphantly over his people. That is a heaven I want to be at. I want to be and I want to live forever. I hope you do too. And here's the point keep your affinities when we talk about your heart it's the things that you have a love for the things that have a connection to you that you really are even preoccupied with keep your affinities your preoccupations where jesus is and as his follower he's promised to join you to himself for all eternity paul uses a complimentary word it's actually the verbal form of the greek word for the word mind so you could say it this way set your mind or even keep on minding keep on minding, keeping your mind centered or focused on things above and watch this, not on earthly things. The first time he didn't use a a phrase of contrast, he said, keep your heart on things above where Jesus is. But the second, he kind of reiterates it, keep your, your mind, keep minding things above, not on earthly things. It's been fascinating in the same time that we've been meeting, like I said, our staff team meets on Thursday mornings for a short devotional time. And, and even from the other people who've been presenting, we've had this really interesting thread, really not at all organized, it just keeps happening, where we keep talking about the reality, the hope of heaven. And this book, this, these th- four verses for sure, really help us realize we are called to raise our gaze. We are constantly looking down at our feet, constantly overwhelmed with the issues that we face in everyday life, with the challenges, with the sin, whatever it may be, with the distractions, the shiny things. These are constantly getting our attention when the Bible's gonna keep saying very explicitly here, raise your mind, raise your heart, put them where Jesus is, where he sits triumphantly, not settled and focused here. And why is that? Why are we called to do that? Here's the phrase, because you died. Remember, as we talked about that, this identification with Jesus, it's another part of that reality. What happened? Jesus died at the cross, and he was raised from the dead supernaturally three days later. Because you're in Christ, you participated somehow with him in those things. And here's what he's saying in this particular area. Because you died, these things no longer have power over you. I don't know if you think about this very much, and, and just listen to all that I say before, I, before you draw a conclusion, but there are some actually some pretty good perks to dying. I don't think about it all the time, but there really are. And, and maybe you're like, Todd, this is really getting weird. Well, <laughs> here, here's what I'm saying. When you die, there are things that no longer have a hold on you, like taxes. <laughs> you don't keep paying taxes when you're dead. Now, they always talked about two things you can rely on, death and taxes. Well, you don't have to worry about taxes once you die. That's done. Maybe it's things like about the infirmities, your, your body. There are some struggles about this not working like you wished it would. That's not gonna continue to be a struggle when you die. One thing you don't have to worry about when you die is constant road construction all over Yucaipa and Redlands. <laughs> it's over, right, No problems, they're no longer. Let them, let them keep doing that till whenever time, but I don't have to worry about it, but watch this. One of the thing that's explicit in this passage today, another thing that is amazing, that death, in this case, we've talked about maybe physical death, but watch this. When I have died with Christ, I'm also now dead to sin. Sin does not have a hold on me like it used to, and that, that is a great perk. That is a great reality, And this idea is your death to this world and its hold on you, that is going to be a central theme all throughout the rest of the book of Colossians. So that's why I said these four verses are huge in understanding how then am I to live? Once I've responded to Jesus, now what? This is huge. I have died to the hold that sin has had on me. I should now, I can now live in a different manner than how I lived before Jesus because I'm dead to that old way of living and it's hold on my head and my heart. Now Paul's gonna help them with some already not yet kind of stuff. Though you're walking the planet today, you, you are in this already mode like you know what this is. He says though your hope in heaven is so sure because your life is hidden with Christ. Your life is hidden in a safe place. So it's almost like this interesting reality. I'm walking, I'm on this planet, but at the same time because I believe so much in the reality, the confidence, not just I hope, hope about heaven, but a biblical hope of heaven, that my life is hidden. It's, It's actually there waiting for me and it's going to be revealed. It's going to be, things are going to change. But here's the point, in that time, there is a space. There is a space between when I first responded to Jesus and the reality of what it means between now and when he takes me home. Here's a way of thinking of it. This time last year, we were kind of rolling out our mission. And one of, the, one of the weekends we talked, we talked about this simple question, why are you still here? If God is after your best, simple question, how is your best, on, meaning best for you on this planet and not with him in heaven? Why would it not be that the moment that you respond to Jesus, no matter what age, no matter what stage, he just takes you home? And we came to this conclusion that god has us on the planet for a purpose it's to live out his mission a mission that is about our great commandment love god love people and a mission of making disciples all over the world so we are here god has us on the planet for a purpose what we're going to see today is not only the mission but really how to live the mission there is actually a way to live We call it rooted and reaching, living a life rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds. But we're gonna see today, there's a way to live a rooted and reaching life. A way to live in such a way that sin no longer has a hold on me. Look in your notes. It's really a way to understand the second half of Colossians. Now that you've received the gospel, this is how you live between, between being included in God's family and arriving safely at home. Love the song that we taught today about this idea, I am who you say I am, and had so much to talk about at the beginning about being a child of God. I've been adopted into that family. This is what we're talking about today. What does the new family dynamic look like? Now that I've been brought into the family of God, what does living in that family look like? I love this next phrase, when Christ, who is your life. Let me just ask you, how could that not help you through the day? Just repeating that, letting that just kind of seep over your mind and your heart. Jesus is life. Making it very personal, Jesus is my life. That reality, though positionally true, sometimes we really struggle to see practically in our everyday worlds, what does that actually mean, what does it look like? I wonder if just even letting the phrase just kind of, Um, Absorb, just kind of be over me is something that really helps. And the point here is connected to what we've just read. When Jesus appears, when he's revealed, you also will appear with him in glory. The Greek word here for appear is the opposite of the word hidden. So really what Paul's doing, he's taking words that typically in our culture, we have all these opposite words. He's just using opposites. Your life is now hidden. It's kept safe with Jesus. But Jesus is going to appear and when he does, you'll be with him. You'll be with him in that glorious moment. you'll be with him and ultimately united with him as he takes you home. There's so much more about these four verses. they make a message in themselves, but I need to move on today, but to suffice it to say, this is, an, this is a call, a directive, to keep on focusing your attention, focusing your head, focusing your heart on things above where our citizenship really is, not being confused here below. Number two in your notes, you are to take an active role in renouncing your old nature. You're to take an active role in renouncing your old nature. The reason I use the word renounce, listen to its definition, it's powerful. It means to refuse to recognize or to abide by any longer. To refuse to abide by any longer, I no longer am going to allow this old nature to have control over me like it did there's a role you play Colossians 3 verse 5 put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality impurity lust evil desires and greed which is idolatry because of these the wrath of God is coming you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger rage malice slander and filthy language from your lips so we begun today, we started with this idea of a call. of a, It was not just simply a positional idea, but something you're to keep on doing, keep on being focused, keep on pursuing the things above. Why? Because you're dead to the things below. They no longer have that hold on you. And that's this present, that we're gonna see these present active imperatives that we're to keep on doing this. These action points of the practical implications. That's what the next part of Colossians 3 is. Here's some great reality. It's kind of theoretical and vague. Now let me get specific. It means these particular things no longer have a hold of you. The first imperative verb I think is really, really important to understand. Put to death. That word in a commentary range of different ideas, people are all over the map. One extreme is basically what, very much what you might think. It makes sense. Even words that are things like literally murder the flesh. Slay utterly. What a powerful phrase. Slay utterly. Um, Mortify. That's a great word. This idea that you're to take an active role in just putting to death this thing that had a hold on you. Now, here's my concern. Remember, we're not just reading Colossians 3.5 out of the blue. It's in a context. We're reading it through a book. And one of the concerns I have is that there needs to be consistency throughout the book in what Paul is after. And Remember a couple of weeks ago, Paul said it wasn't going to be through an ascetic, I love this word, unsparing severity, that the flesh was going to be controlled. This was not how it's gonna happen, just inflicting pain and trying harder to somehow push this thing down and to, as it were, kill the old man. Remember, we even looked last week at those who were taking these rules-oriented approach. We saw a powerful phrase. They lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. All of the things we just talked about in the first part of that list, all are related to sensual indulgence. So I'm not sure that put to death has that idea that implication of how you can get out the sword and just slay it however to the other extreme in commentary land was this idea of consider consider the flesh consider the old you dead and no longer having power i looked at that and i thought well you know what the next verb though is to rid yourself or to put off of that seems like a very obvious action. It's not just thinking about something or like having a perspective of something. That's a, an active idea. So it's like, God, wh- where are we at? And I think it's actually somewhere in the middle. This word, put to death, is used three times in the New Testament. The other two times it's used, it has the idea of actually someone, and, and you've heard this phrase before, they're so old, they're good as dead. <laughs> we say it, right? They're so old, they're good as dead. And that's actually the other two times that this word is used, that's what it's used for. One's about Abraham and the fact that he couldn't have, you know, why would anyone expect he'd become a dad at 100? He was as good as dead, it's from Hebrews 12. So it's that idea. So if, if that's the other two times that this word is used, Maybe that's more to the idea of how it's also used in this third case, and listen to this definition, to deprive the power of or to destroy the strength of. Put to death therefore, destroy the strength of this thing that has had control over your life. Watch this, by transformed heart and mind, new affections that are now placed in heaven and no longer the affections we might have had, many of us, most of us, all of us had, Things like, these are all so sexual in nature, every one of them, and not just sexual. Remember, we want to keep talking about sex is not wicked. Sex is actually rightly, rightly lived out as God's design. It's all the, the misinformation. It's all the lack of design. Those are the things that Paul is identifying. And he mentions greed, and he says, greed, let's call it what it is. It's idolatry. It's not just simply that you want more. You're displacing Jesus to put that there. These things, they controlled me, and they were rendered powerless because I have a heart and a mind set on what is above. I'm dead to what had a hold on me consistent with the fact that I died in Christ. The sinful nature has now been deprived of the power it had. Now, you might be saying, Todd, you know, I don't know. Those words seem pretty strong to me. Put to death, that's what it means. Okay, well, let me just say this. I'm not saying the Bible doesn't say that other places i just don't think colossians 3 says that let me show you a really powerful way that we see that played out in romans 8. romans 8 actually you'll see this i think the whole chapter the first 14 verses are actually a parallel to everything we've read in colossians so i'm going to take a little time today not with a lot of explanation but i just want you to listen to romans 8 beginning of verse 1 you can see it on the screen therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus as we're reading think of what you've heard and what we looked at in colossians 1 and 2. Because why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That law of sin and death was a law that God gave Moses. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, you could not act it out. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so God, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Why? Not because we tried harder, but because of who Jesus is, what he did, and we're identified with him. That's basically Colossians 1 and 2, which is right now you're saying, Todd, why didn't we just study Romans 8? That would have been a lot quicker. Okay, here we are. But now watch this next phrase. Now watch the hinge and now see Colossians 3 and 4. Those of us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. Same idea, mind, where's your mind set? The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness, Jesus' Righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. High identification. This is what it means to be in Christ. Now look at this last part. Therefore, so in light of all what I've just said, brothers and sisters, we have, and there's that word, an obligation. There is an expectation now that we're in Christ. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Watch this, but if by the Spirit, can we say that phrase by the Spirit, one, two, three? By the Spirit, Spirit. say it again, by By the Spirit. Spirit. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Here's what the conclusion comes to, and by the way, that word is exactly putting to death, but the key phrase you repeated back, by the spirit you are not strong enough i am not strong enough to simply be saved by god to now go try harder to live out his commands that by the way was an old covenant in the new we not only have forgiveness true forgiveness not animal sacrifices the sacrifice of god's one-of-a-kind son But within that, he also gives us his indwelling spirit. So in your notes, it won't be through rigorous self-denial that we keep putting to death. That's the word in Romans 8. It's a present verb. It won't be through rigorous self-denial of the flesh, but by the indwelling work and power of the Holy Spirit. This strong language is deeply connected to the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. This new life that we're living is to be controlled by the Spirit of God living in us, affording us new desires consistent with what the Spirit desires. In your notes, I have a phrase. When I was growing up in church here in Ukiah, I went to a church where Pastor Frank Mercer was a lead pastor, and he would say a phrase or something similar to this all the time. It's in your notes. You know that you're becoming more like Jesus as you recognize your want-tos reflecting what he wants. God is transforming your heart, changing your desires to desire after what he does. Back to our passage, Paul says that the, with these former ways, the things that are inconsistent with God's design, they're the reason why God's wrath is approaching, why it's coming. It's the same word used in Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is being revealed, it's not just like waiting, it's actually starting to arrive from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth, by their wickedness these things here clearly today these things relate to or belong to your earthly nature they re- represent the things that you used to live in that you were controlled by not the spirit Paul gives another imperative verb we alluded to it a minute ago rid yourselves put off from yourselves things like anger rage malice slander filthy language from your lips Watch this. The first, first list that we saw today, those things that we are to, to uh, put to death, that list of things, interestingly enough, I think they all relate some way to idolatry. Whether we put a thing or a human being in the place where Jesus alone should sit, and they all, even though they have implications that affect our relationships, they're primarily moving Jesus off the throne and putting something else this second list that we're to put off from ourselves rid ourselves from actually have a lot more of a horizontal impact how we treat each other and what the bible is saying here not how like you used to live someone who would rage someone who was full of anger someone who spoke with slander and malice that that is not what represents your human relationships any longer because now you're dead to those things and alive to christ i want to say this The elephant in the room and everything we've started talking about once we hit verse five is simply this comment, this idea that you've been thinking about the whole time. Todd, what does this mean for me? Someone who has put his or her life in Christ. I I, I recognize I am a follower of Jesus and I trust him with my life now and my eternity. But one of the things or something like it from the list that you've read, that thing has a hold on me. Now what? Now, what do I do? And I want you to hear today, whether it range from an addiction to pornography, whether it be habitual greed or a lifestyle demonstrated by anger or rage or any other thing you're thinking of right now. If these lifestyles are true for you as you would name yourself a follower of Jesus, I really want you to know today, before we go any further, I want you to know two things. Number one, these represent who you were, not whose you are. They represent who who you were, not whose you are. And the reality is, I don't think I would speak to a single person here today who would say, Todd, I get the theory of that, the practice of that is a lot harder. I don't know how to change, I have tried. I don't doubt for a moment. But if you're there and you're stopped kind of at the edge of that mountain and you don't know where change is ever gonna happen, I wanna encourage you with this, number one, as I think about my life, as I think about the people I interact with, one of the key pieces, we just read it in Romans 8, one of the key pieces is a daily, moment by moment, surrender to the Holy Spirit. That is what we're talking about. Hilke, a few weeks ago, used that great track, My Heart Christ's Christ's Home. All these different doors, rooms in my life that I've kept sanctioned off from God. God can't get there. That's what releasing that control, surrendering to the Spirit is, Jesus, you have entrance. That room needs a lot of help. But the other thing is Christian community. You are never intended to do this alone based on the power of the spirit in your life, but also based in community. We are so individualistic in these United States of America we don't read the Bible through the lens as it was intended or as much of the world does today, through the lens of community. This is not about you just lone rangering it by yourself. There are brothers and sisters who know what these struggles are, live them themselves, who have seen victory, who've seen growth. You're intended to walk with them. We have numerous recovery groups based on this specific idea. Second, this, these two lists here in Colossians 3 are not in the Bible to shame you, but what they are, they're, awake, they're to awaken you. They're to awaken you to the destructive consequences that living according to the flesh will have towards your relationship with God and everyone else you touch. The reason I'm saying that is that some of us have gotten to a point where we've just given up. It's not gonna change. It's not gonna get better. I want you to hear me today. These pas- this passage is important because it's issuing a warning. It's issuing a warning to say, don't just sit in this place of saying, it's just who I am, nothing's gonna change. Spirit, I need your power for change, and I need brothers and sisters who are gonna walk with me. That's where that really happens. There is an expectation, an obligation given, here's the great news, but with Holy Spirit resources that you no longer walk in the ways that once held you captive. These are very powerful, important words. They lead us today to point number three in your notes. Your new clothes look a lot like what God intended. Your new clothes look a lot like what God intended. Chapter three, verse nine. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This last type of earthbound behavior that Paul is literally just mentioning and, and noting is that of lying. And maybe another way, because I think we always have a way to get out of what is a lie. It's a willful misrepresentation of yourself or something else. Just so we're clear. My title well, it's, it's kind of like edging over. No, that was a lie, okay? And why? Why is it important that we no longer lie to each other? It's because of what we've disrobed. We've gotten rid of the old self. That word, you, you've taken off the old self, that's the same word from Colossians 2.15, when we said that Jesus disrobed those powers and authorities that stood opposed to us. He actually shamed them. He took those things off. They, they weren't anything they could stand in power in anymore. So the idea of taking off, but it doesn't just say taking off the old self and creating a vacuum. It says, but you are putting on the new. You put on the new self that's being changed, that's being renewed. Some of you were with us two years ago, it was actually almost this same time of year when I talked about um, my clubbing shirt. If you remember that, we were in Ephesians chapter four and and it's the same imagery of disengage and engage. Take off the old self, put on the new. By the way, every single time these are active verbs. It's not passive, no one's doing this for you. There is an active role in taking this off and reapplying, putting something else in its place. And we talked about this image, and by the way, this is pretty. Some of you, are, you've seen this the whole time. You're like, is he going to disco? What are we doing here today? This is great. <laughs> here, here's what this represented. I talked about the idea that had I been someone who was living in the world of clubbing back in the day, and, and I had this shirt, and that's what that whole thing represented. It's not the, the shirt, but what I did in the shirt and how I lived. That whole thing. Then, then I put on my married shirt, which by the way, this is the exact same shirt I wore then. My clothes stay with me, okay? So, so my married shirt and my clubbing shirt, well, when, when I left this life and exchanged it for this one, I took this off, I put this one on. The reality is, as we use the illustration that day, what is it like when I go back into my closet and, and I take this off the hanger and my wife comes walking in the door and she's seeing, she knows what this shirt represents. And she's like, Those are old clothes. They don't have anything to do with your life now. For some of us today, what we're struggling with is this. We very much have put on the new self, but we're very much struggling with, but there's just these things. There's this thing, whatever it may be, and it still looks a lot like the old. So Paul is saying, Part of this process, remember we've said it from the very beginning today, this is not on your own, just try harder. This is not biblical Christianity. It is infused with a focus above, where Jesus is, is infused with the power of the very spirit of God that lives in you, but there is an active role, there is a partnership. Take off, put on, live according to whose you are. The great news is that this new self is actually a lot like our intended original self. What I don't mean is the old self that was marred with sin. Remember we said today, Romans 5, you were in Adam. You were in Adam before he sinned. That self, that self that God created, that's who you were intended to be. Look what it says, and look how you are a part, you, you still are a marred image bearer, but before, before Adam failed, you were completely as God intended. Genesis 126, then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You were intended to bear fully, bear completely, bear without sin the image of God. Sin has messed that up, and what the Bible's saying is: the new self. I want you to see this in your notes. What an awesome story of redemption. God is making us new, giving us a new self that actually resembles our original selves that he designed us to be. Note, by the way, the verb here is a present tense verb. It's being renewed. It's not a done deal. It is being, it's in that act of, it's being renewed, meaning that the sphere of knowledge, remember it said being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. It means this, that the way that you are taking in the word of God, is the agent of change. It's one of the agents of how we become more like Jesus is by reading the word of God, hearing the word of God, letting it have a place of authority in our lives. A simple way to say it, you become what you read. Keep open, and not just on a Sunday morning with us here, but throughout the week, drenching your mind, drenching your heart with things above. They change the way you live here. Finally, in the community where people are clothed with their new selves, they don't see the trappings of what divided them when they were wearing their old clothes. Meaning, our old clothes gave an impression that you could judge what was in these old clothes. And the interesting thing of the list that Paul gives in Colossians 3.11, none of those relate to heinous acts that people had done toward them. Not a one of them had something to do with someone had been unkind to me or my family. They're all about simply who you are. Who you are is opposed to who I am. Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, slave free. These were all examples of we stood opposed to one another though we never even met. That title alone kept us distant. Paul is saying here, in this new Jesus community here, Among God's people, we take those old clothes off and we see each other through a new lens. Maybe today in Jesus' community, it looks a lot more like this. Here there are no U.S. citizens and illegal aliens. Here there are no white or black or Hispanic or Asian as far as barriers that keep us from one another. Here there are no educated professionals or day laborers. Christ is in all and Christ is all. He's the basis. This week, let's be a people who evidence well by the power of Jesus' spirit within us, whose we are. When your focus is on Jesus above, you live in a new way down below. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as a people who have had, this is like drinking out of a fire hydrant, Passages, passage has so many ideas, so many things we're trying to assimilate, but the big picture we are so grateful for is that not only are you the author of our salvation, you are also the one who gives us every resource we need to live out sanctification. Thank you, God, that you didn't just save us and leave us to ourselves. You are with us every step of the way. Would we be a people who set our minds, our hearts, our affections on things above where you're seated? Would we be a people who recognize the absolute dire need we have for the Holy Spirit to change us, transform us from the inside out so that we would be a people who are living out your mission between when we've been adopted and when we've been taken home? If you're here today and you would say, Todd, you know what? I've never, I've never really entered into this family. I've never really taken that step of recognizing how much I need Jesus and what he's done for me. And I have great news because right here, right now, you can do something about that. A is to admit, to admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. B is to believe, to believe that this Jesus we've talked about, he lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death. He was raised supernaturally on the third day. Believe he's the only savior available. C is choose choose to say, Jesus, I put my trust in what you did for me 2,000 years ago. And moving forward, I simply, I want to, as we said today, put on the new self and live out of your power, your life. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your word, the clarity, the mission it gives us. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.